Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Good to be in Australia's most livable city. Yeah, I come from Melbourne and one day we're going to take that back off you, Adelaide, okay? One day. And I'm told that the uh, 11 a.m. service, this is where the most intelligent, best-looking kind of, you know, really come. And then you get past nine and now here we are at 11. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm ready to go because of your hospitality. I've already had four long blacks this morning. So I'm warmed up and ready to go. Let's pray. Father God, we come around your words and we recognise that whenever we open it up and we pray, come Holy Spirit, that you are ready to speak to us. So may it be your words we hear today. May you embed truth in us. May you bring some new revelation from your word. May you give us courage and faith to, to follow, follow you and to be, to be ready to embrace the renovations, the restorations, the deepening that you want to bring as our loving God. We pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. My kids, uh, my kids love renovation and home improvement television shows. I don't know if any of you are into that as well. When I was a kid, they weren't the kind of shows I was watching. But then they flicked through the channels, the block, my house rules, uh, flip it, renovation, ink, flip it again. Barnwood Builders, the list goes on. You know, today there are 250 different home improvement programs you can find somewhere on Australian TV channels. And why is it that we might be obsessed with home improvement? I'm not because I am not a handyman. If I pick up a hammer in my household, the family say, got to put it down, Dad. Put it down. My wife is the uh, handyman in our house. In fact, our kids would like us to go on the block because our kids reckon if we were on the block, Megan would, would walk out in the first episode and never come back while I was out buying the pillows, kind of doing the styling at Freedom Kind of Furniture. That's me. But why are we obsessed with home improvement television? I read a, a recent article that was quite fascinating. The first thing is research shows us across the world, whenever there is a significant world event, like a terrorism event or crisis or obviously a pandemic, research shows us that we kind of look inward and Bunnings and hardware places do a roaring trade because we kind of focus back on the inward kind of world rather than what's happening on the exterior. The second thing this research paper suggested was that deep down, we all actually want change in our lives. Can I just pause and ask you to reflect on that this morning? You know, if I was to stand at the, the doorway today when you walked in and said, are there areas of your life that you'd like to see God work in? I'm sure every one of us would say yes. Because the challenge is to go, as Mike said, beyond what God is saying to what might God want me to do with that truth in my life. And the third part of this research I can really relate to. The third part of the research said that we, we kind of love home improvement, home renovation programs because it's so easy to change our external world around rather than our internal life. You know, I love changing the furniture around. You know, if my wife and kids go away for the weekend, they'll come back and the lounge room will look different. During lockdown, I moved my study around so many times. 
But it's easy for me to move furniture around. It's easy for me to change the look of my house. It's another thing, isn't it, to allow God to inwardly and deeply change who I am and what God might have in my life today. But when we think about that challenge, that encouragement, we come back to Nehemiah, the series that Mike opened and that Michelle spoke on last week. And we come back to Nehemiah and we remind ourselves that our God is a restoring God. And I hope that brings some energy and excitement to you today, that our God is not finished with you yet. Whether you're 15, 55 or 75, God is in the restoration business and God is not finished with me yet. He's not finished with you yet. There's a desire to bring restoration and renewal to our lives, a desire to bring change. And we remind ourselves of that today. We remind ourselves that even if we think our life looks like rubble, God is about building new walls. God is about building temples and cities. God is about building relationships, about building marriages, about building families, about building your life. Are we kind of ready to take hold of that truth afresh in our lives today? A God who wants to bring restoration, whether we be online or in the auditorium today, whether we're watching across the world or right here in Clovey, a God who wants to bring restoration to our lives. But you know, when you look at the book of Nehemiah, and we come back to what Mike and Michelle have already shared on in this series, we remind ourselves that yes, God wants to bring change to our lives, but he calls on us to actively participate in that. Nehemiah has to be a man of courage and obedience and faith and open his life up to God's vision to allow that to become a reality in his life. Reggie Joyner and Karen Newhoff, in a, in a book that I read many years ago, say this great quote that I've scribbled down many times. They say, Do we actually want to open our lives and cooperate with God's big redemptive story for your life? I love that. Because today God is at work across our worlds. Today God wants to bring cosmic renewal from Genesis through to Revelation, the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. A God who wants to bring cosmic change. But a God who's interested in Scott Pilgrim. A God who knows my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations, but my fears and my failings and my insecurities. A God who wants to bring change and who beckons and invites me into a deeper relationship with him and the call for me to cooperate and participate and engage in that. And so what can we take from Nehemiah today? I'm not going to read one passage to you right now because the way this kind of series is flowing, I've kind of got almost five chapters of scripture here. And if you go away today and read from uh, Nehemiah 8 to 12, if you're a person who likes to-do lists, you'll really like this section of Scripture. If you like long lists of names, you'll love it. But as you weave your way through these kind of five chapters of Scripture, uh, there are kind of truths that we can pull out. Now, don't worry, we're not going to be here all day. Although in Nehemiah 9, it says the people gathered for six hours I've got to be at a commissioning service at Enfield at one o'clock. So uh, I think we're not going to be here for six hours. But what are the truths that God might want to bring out of these chapters of Scripture today? The wall has been built. Israel celebrates that the wall has been built. The walls of the city, Nehemiah's project has, has been completed. But Israel comes together and realizes that God has more for them. 
And that sense that God has more for our lives today. And if we think about renovation, if we think about home improvement, we realise, of course, that some things have to go and some things have to stay. Some things, you know, go. You see the people on the block and there's the old bathroom and out goes the pink bath and, you know, and out go the fibro walls and there's things that have to go but there are also foundations that have to stay. In chapter 9 of Nehemiah, in the opening verses, we read that the Israelites separate themselves from the foreigners and they confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they remained in that place for three hours while the book of the law was read. And they continued for another three hours to confess their sins. What's the first sacred practice we see here that we can apply to our lives today if we cooperate with a God who is a God of restoration? It's confession. The willingness to open up our lives afresh to God today knowing that God is a gracious God, a forgiving God, a good God who beckons us into deeper relationship, but that we might dare open up our lives today and bring confession before God. Bring the, the stuff that might be hidden, the stuff that others might not see. I had a man come to me after first service with his little piece of paper and privately he said, I need to let go of this in my life. It could be pride, could be anger. could be guilt or shame that you've held on to for too long. And today God says, be free of that. It could be apathy. It could be a bitterness, jealousy, resentment. It could be something that's in your life that you just know you've got to get rid of and deal with. It could be fear. Mike's already read from the Psalms today where David says, you know, create in me a clean heart of God. In Psalm 32, David is stuck. He knows that he's kind of captive to that sin and he hasn't come to confession. And he says, every bone in my body is kind of aching. He's emotionally and spiritually dry. And then he confesses. And what does he say in Psalm 32? Blessed is the person whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the person who opens their life up to God. What were Israel doing? Israel positioning themselves for God to act in their life. They were saying to the God of restoration, I opened my life for you to come and bring renewal and change today. The sacred principle of confession in our lives. But there were things that also need to stay. Israel in these five chapters, if you like, got to build a foundation and model for us what does it mean for God to be at work restoring us. The second sacred principle that we see in these five chapters, if you go away and read them, is gratitude, thanksgiving. In the beginning of chapter 12, we get this long list of names of all the priests and the Levites. And then we read that they came to Jerusalem in verse 27. And they came for this joyous occasion. They came with their songs of thanksgiving, with their cymbals, their harps, their lyres, their choirs. There were choirs around. And they came together for thanksgiving. We read in chapter, uh, in chapter 10, and nine, that Israel hadn't seen so much kind of joy and celebration for, for such a long time. They came to give thanks to God. The sacred practice of confession, the, the sacred practice of thanksgiving. The last couple of years have been pretty challenging for all of us, haven't they? I know they certainly have been in, uh, 
in Melbourne. You can become wearisome and tired. And maybe today you're facing other challenges in your life and you're focusing on the circumstances. And I know what that looks like to get kind of almost obsessed with those things that are around us and stop to look back up again to our God and to recognize that today, right here in Clovey, there are so many things that I can be thankful for. I wonder what they are for you today as you list those things off. We live in a world that kind of seduces us into cynicism and where we become overwhelmed and focused by our circumstances. But our God calls us again today to kind of raise our eyes like Israel did and to live with gratitude. Thankful for my family. You know, thankful for, for friends. Thankful for colleagues in ministry. Uh, thankful for uh, that all the things that I take for granted in a world where we think about Ukraine and, and poverty and all the good things that we have. You know, thankful that you've got a God who, who blows the wind the right way when an Adelaide Crows player shanks a kick and it still goes through for a goal. Thankful for the under 12 white horse Mustangs that I coach who yesterday won their semi-final. Not that winning is everything, of course. But what are we thankful for in our lives today? Thankful for our spouse, but we haven't said that for a long time. Thankful for our kids. Thankful for where we live, the church we're a part of. Just saw a few women nudge their husbands. What are we thankful for today? The sacred principle of confession, the sacred principle of gratitude. Israel recognizes that God is not finished with them yet, but they position themselves. They move away from cynicism. They move away from sin. They move away from a focus on themselves and they open themselves back up to a restoring God. And the third sacred principle today, if you read through the four or five chapters of Scripture this week. You get to chapter 10. And in my Bible, the heading simply says, the end of chapter 9, the people agree to obey. And then you get actually all the names of the people who sealed their name on this, if you like, this document where they say, as a people of Israel who have turned their back on God, we now come back to God and we commit ourselves to the ways of the Lord. How do we kind of take hold of that ancient truth and apply it to our world today? Because the world of Nehemiah and Israel are very different to ours. But what were they doing? They were aligning themselves with the ways of the Lord. They were saying, we've taken detours. We've got off the track. We've failed to, to listen, God. We come back today and we reorient our lives around you. Another person after first service who came up and written on their card was, I've been trying to do it my way. God, I've got to do it your way. I want to call that the sacred principle of alignment. Because you know what I've learnt? The older I get, I cannot manufacture Christ-likeness. You know, I'm an Aussie male who likes to be in control of things, who likes to get things done, but I cannot manufacture Christ-likeness. I can't kind of order godliness and pick it up on Friday, you know, click and collect. We live in a world of immediacy. My, my, my youngest daughter now says, Dad, we don't need to go to the shops. Just order on Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow. I saw in a news article this week that you can now order a steak in a vending machine in Japan. 
Imagine that. You put your moan, you press the button, and out comes a steak. Imagine the quality of that steak coming out of that vending machine. But that's the world we live in. And we can be seduced with so many different messages, information overload, social media, what people say about us, how many likes I get, the call to consumerism, materialism, the challenge of the pandemic, what's happening in your own life today. But is it today that God is saying, refocus, reorient, realign? Come back to my ways. And of course, as we hear that challenge, that encouragement, we don't have a God who kind of beats us up with a stick, do we? But a God who beckons us with love and grace. That new song that we sang today, that one line that stood out for me, Jesus is our future. The call to realign our lives around Christ. And what I've learned in my life, as I said, I can't do it on my own. So I've learned to pray this really simple prayer because I like to keep it simple. A three-word prayer, come Holy Spirit. When I'm about to begin the day and the challenge is ahead, come Holy Spirit. When I'm about to jump up to speak today, come Holy Spirit. When, I'm, when my kids are ratty and, and frustrating and the family life doesn't look anything like perfection and I'm about to dive into something stupid, come Holy Spirit. When I think about my marriage relationship, come Holy Spirit. When I step into a difficult meeting, come Holy Spirit. Where might the Holy Spirit be inviting you to open your life up today to change and realignment to come back to the ways of the Lord to let go of stuff that gets in the way maybe it's been a long time since you've actually opened the word of God and others don't know that maybe your prayer life is stale maybe it's God I've been trying to do life on my own but I need to come back to your ways the people agree to obey And this amazing line in verse 8, and all the people assembled with a unifying purpose. Clovey, a great church community, a church community where this year your theme is restore, a church that will be an even greater community as each one of us realign our lives around the, the, the purposes of Jesus and that be central to our lives. The kingdom, I belong to the king. I want my values, my ethics, my behavior, my conversations. I want more and more to look and live like Jesus. In these five chapters in Nehemiah, we get the reminder that there are some things that need to go. Call the call to confession and repentance and the reminder that some things foundationally need to stay. Gratitude, thanksgiving, realigning my life around the word of God and the purposes of Jesus. And then finally today, from chapter 8 through to chapter 12, time and time again we read that Israel came together to praise God. Chapter 8 Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands, then bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their face to the ground. And that theme continues throughout these chapters. And when we take that ancient word and we apply it to today, what difference might that make to our lives today? Can I suggest to you the 
the fourth practice that we see in this passage is what I want to call the posture of praise. We've come together today and we enjoy worship and we've sung some great songs and we've been drawn into a worship experience, which is wonderful. But then we leave today and we go back to our lives in this community, the real world around us. Some of us may be on the mountaintop, some of us may be on the valley, some of us in between, some of us thinking about the challenges of tomorrow, some of us knowing that we've got... Uh, big issues to deal with in relationships, some of us wondering you know, what tomorrow will bring. In the midst of all of that, we're invited to be a people of praise. We're created to be a people of praise. I grew up in a little Presbyterian church and you had to learn the catechisms. We don't kind of do that in the Baptist world. And um, I learned as a kid, Catechism number one, what is the chief purpose of humanity? What have we been created to do? And the answer to that was to praise God and enjoy him. What's it mean to live with a posture of praise? Not just on a Sunday, not just in singing worship songs. What's it mean for me to live with praise each day, to take my eyes off my circumstances and to look up and to see God again? In the middle of last year, uh, I was increasingly not, not feeling very well. I'd been getting headaches for a long time. I'd, I'd said kind of six months. My wife as a nurse said two years. You know, and I wasn't feeling uh, very well. And then I started to get kind of tingling and spasms in my arms and my legs and my neck was sore. And a few scary occasions when I went to pick something up and my hand didn't work the way that it's supposed to work. And I ended up uh, with my wife at the doctor's surgery uh, and for uh, an appointment. And this GP, who I've got to know over the last five years in Melbourne, said, Scott, there, there's a good chance that you might have a brain tumour. You kind of don't want to hear that from your local GP very often. <laughs> We're in the midst of lockdown. And so within two hours, I'd gone from just going to the doctors to lying in an MRI machine. Some of you might have had an MRI before. You lie there, particularly when they're looking at your brain, they put this kind of capsule around your head. You feel very kind of claustrophobic. And then they kind of push you into the machine. The young technologist said to me, do you want me to play some music? I said, yeah, you, you, you pick. And I think she picked the, the hits of the early 2000s. And there I was in this machine and just Psalm 23 came to my mind. I thought, that's going to calm me down. My mind's running a million miles an hour. And I'm thinking, the Lord is my shepherd. And then suddenly there's drops of Jupiter in my ear from train. And I'm old enough to know that song. And I start singing along because I'm in a capsule and no one can hear me. And I'm trying to get back to the Lord is my shepherd. And then they, they've got to work on their music list because you get to song three and you're having a brain scan. And song three says, when well, I'm gone. You don't want to sing that song. And, and there I am, and I'm lying there, and it takes 45 minutes. There's plenty of thinking time as the machine whirls around. And it kind of became a metaphor for me, and I think this could be for some people here today. I was struck in that machine that I had three choices, and I face these three choices not every day. We all do. We face these three choices whenever life throws at us. We can choose to panic. You know, I'm there in this machine and my mind's running a million miles an hour. And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? God, what's happening here? We can all press the panic button. And maybe today, 
in your own life. You're kind of panicking. You're trying to be in control. You're trying to hold on to life. But today it might be, God, I've got to let go and trust you in my life, with my finances, my work, my relationships, my future. So I could choose to panic. And then a second word came to mind as I was, the machine was whirling. I can just choose pity. I'm sick. You know, woe is me. God, why has this happened for? And I can wallow in my circumstances. And I don't say this lightly, and I don't know you as a community, but I reckon there's a lot of followers of Jesus in the Western worlds who've got this disease called self-pity. And we need to let go of that, that God might bring freedom and grace and release and we take our eyes off the valley and we look up and see that our God never leads us into valleys. He leads us through valleys. I could choose to panic. I could choose self-pity or I could choose to praise God that right there in that moment, no matter what happened, I'm forced to ask myself, is Christ enough for me? Is faith enough for me? Is God really with me? And then suddenly in that chamber, I start to sing. I start to bring worship to my God. And the song that came to mind, I think you sang it last week at the end of your service. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. That song was written when some kids in the Bethel church were very unwell. And as they're invited to pray for those kids, the author, the creator of that song was struck by his disbelief, his unbelief. And he says, in the midst of my unbelief, I realise I've got to turn again to God. And all I can do is bring praise because my God is so worthy of praise and I trust Him that He is in control. What does it mean for you and I when the rubber hits the road to live like that 24-7? That whatever I face today, as tough as it might be, God is in control. In the book of Nehemiah, we get all these lists of names, really strange names. You're looking for a, an unusual name for your pet or your kid, go to Nehemiah and you'll find some. But you go to the genealogy in Matthew where we read of the list of Jesus' genealogy and we get this wonderful interplay of words. We're told that Judah begets Perez. That Judah was the father of Perez. And we can read that and think, that's great, Scott. You know what Judah means? Judah means praise. You know what Perez means? Perez means breakthrough. What's that revelation in the Scripture there? That praise leads to breakthrough. That praise leads to restoration. That when I take my eyes off my circumstances and I look up afresh, whether it's auditorium today or you might be watching across the world, we say, I'm not going to be driven by my circumstance. I'm not going to choose panic. I'm not going to choose pity. And every day, only with God's help, I'm going to posture myself as a person of praise. And when I do that, I create space. I create space. 
our lives can become so cluttered. And I wonder what's cluttering your life today. Is there the need for confession? Is there the need for gratitude and thanksgiving? Is there the need for realignment? Is there the need to reorient around the fact that you are created to be a person of praise? A person of praise. A person who lays down your life and says, yes, I'm secure because Jesus is my future. Can we pray together?